But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. Now it's your turn. This is our memory verse for our series. Would you stand with me, LifePoint? Let's say it together and open up nice and strong today. Say it with me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witness in Judea. There you go, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You got it right. I didn't. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we get to be here. Father, if anything happens today, help us to take another step to being empowered by your Spirit to be witnesses here in Plano, in Collin County, in our region, and to the ends of the earth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we get kicked off today, I want us to have a little bit of fun by triggering in your mind a question. Where have you been on this earth where you experienced the awe and wonder of God? Maybe it was in your backyard, maybe it was on a beautiful vacation somewhere in the United States, maybe it was a sunset or sunrise, maybe it was somewhere else in the world. I remember for me it was hiking in the Grand Canyon, it was biking at the foot of the Tetons, it was uh, standing on top at Glacier Point there in Yosemite National Park, seeing the beauty there. But for you, where was the place where you experienced, you distinctly remember experiencing the awe and wonder of God? Here's what I want to do. I want you to take 10 seconds and ask someone around you, Where did you experience the awe and wonder of God? Ask them. All right, those of you who are watching online, would you go ahead and just type in right now. I always love to go back after the service and look at your comments. Where have you experienced the awe and wonder of God? Share that with us in the comments below. All right, let's start over here. You've gotten, you've asked, I love it. Right over here in this section, just shout it out. Where have you been? To experience the awe and wonder of God. Right here in this section. Somebody shout it out. Niagara Falls. Very good. I've never been there. I just saw it on the office whenever Jim and Pam got married. It looked wonderful. Yeah. How about right here? Where have you been to experience the awe and wonder of God? Did you say Lake Michigan? Very cool. I love it. My mom is from Michigan. i got to say that every time I hear that state. Right here. Where have you experienced the awe and wonder of God? Where? Seaside, Florida. Yes, Florida, the beautiful coast with the warm water. All right, right here. Where have you experienced the awe and wonder of God? Where was it? The Rockies. Very nice. Yes, absolutely. All right, right here. Where have you experienced the awe and wonder of God? Israel. Absolutely, Peggy. Where else? I heard something in the back. What did you say? Switzerland. I would guess so, in the Alps of Switzerland. All right, right here. Last section. Where have you experienced the awe and wonder of God? Did you say Idaho? It is beautiful, though. I will give you Idaho. It's a little cold, but it's beautiful. All right, right here. Where did you say? Hawaii, of course. Yes, yes. I didn't expect Idaho, but thank you. I love it. I love it. Hey, here's the thing. 
We're going to talk about in a verse today where over and over the people who were following God continued to say they were experiencing the awe and wonder of God. Here's my greatest fear, though. With each passing generation in the West, in particular in our nation, we see fewer people experiencing the awe and wonder of God. And what we know is that we experience the awe and wonder of God. It is compelling. It causes our soul to awaken, doesn't it? But let's be honest. Are you experiencing the awe and wonder of God and your relationship with God? Or are you one of those people who would say the awe and wonder of God is gone? It's become rote. It's become routine. It's become, if you would say it out loud, you would even say it's become a little boring. And the awe and wonder of God is gone. If that's you, what we're going to look at today, I hope, will be a great encouragement to you in your life today. Now, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 2 here in just a minute, but I want to give you a real quick update as far as our church, LifePoint Church. Over the last few weeks, as you know, we've been coming out of COVID and we've been, we've been recovering from a global pandemic like the rest of the world, and, and, and that has very specific ramifications for the church. And one of the great things, we had a great Easter, but over the last three or four weeks, I just wanted to give you an update that each week we've been seeing more and more visitors come, we've been seeing more and more first-time guests come, and each week our attendance continues to increase so much so that last Sunday, other than Easter, last Sunday... We had the highest attendance we've had yet as a church since COVID, and we're grateful to see visitors coming. We had the highest number of adults and the highest number of children. Amen. Thank you for inviting friends. And if you're visiting here today, this is your first time here. We just want to say welcome. We are so grateful that you are here. And I want to catch you up because we're going through a series that we've just started that we're calling, Where Do You Go From Here? We're going through the book of Acts. And here's why we're calling it that. Because four weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, the greatest event in Christian history. And oftentimes, we think the story ended there when the story actually began there. But where do you go to find out what happened next? Well, the book of Acts covers the next 30 years of the Christian movement, where the church itself was birthed, where the Holy Spirit came down, and the Christian faith was launched. So it's an incredible book, and we're going through it together. We've just began going through this book. But what the disciples were asking is, where do you go from here? Where do you go after you've seen Jesus rise from the dead and then he ascends into heaven? What's next? It's a question we ask ourselves in life all the time. And you might be there asking that in your life right now. When your life gets turned upside down, when you find yourself in an unexpected place, you ask that question, where do you go from here? And there's so much encouragement and insight in this book. And I hope it's an encouragement to you wherever you find yourself in life. And you may be finding yourself in this place like many do, and that is, I find that the awe and wonder of God is gone. Where do I go from here? What do I do when I find myself in that place? And we're talking about the Holy Spirit that just came down in Acts chapter 2 we saw last week in a powerful demonstration that's very dramatic. And we keep saying that the Holy Spirit is still alive and powerful today in 2021. 
And yet, we keep seeing in the West in particular, more and more people with each generation leaving the church and leaving the faith. Can I tell you what I really believe is true? That is, I don't think the next generation is leaving the church because they're convinced the Holy Spirit is not active and not powerful. I think the next generation is leaving the church because they're convinced we no longer believe the Holy Spirit is still alive and powerful. And there's no greater indictment on us because we've been given the gospel, we've been handed the baton, and it's in our stewardship now. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to be witnesses, but we have to jump in the game and take steps of faith and recognize it's not about us, it's not about our ability, it's all about Him and His ability, and we're going to surrender to Him because we want to be used in this moment, in this season, when the gospel is needed more than ever before. And I know, Life Point, that is who we want to be. That's what we want to step into. But it begins when we receive power when we are are empowered by the Holy Spirit, then we receive strength. And then we're witnesses. Amen? And that's who we want to be as a church. I know that's our heart. But what do we do when the awe and wonder is gone? There's a generation that's watching and waiting. And we got to get this right. If we get nothing else right, we got to get this one right. And so we're going to look at this passage together that I think is so powerful. And can I tell you, right out of the gate, my my biggest fear for today's message is that you're going to agree with me when we're done, but you're going to leave unchanged. So would you just pray in your heart right now, God, help me to not settle for agreement, but to pursue surrender. Because the truth of this message doesn't do any good if you just agree with it. But if we surrender to what we see in Scripture today, okay? So, with all that said, I hope you open your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 2. If you're new and you don't have a Bible, we got you covered. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Grab it. You don't know where Acts is, just like any other book. Look at the table of contents. You'll see it. Grab Acts, and we're going to look at chapter 2. If you're new, I'll catch you up in one paragraph. In chapter 1, we saw that Jesus told the disciples to wait for him in the upper room and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended, and he was gone. In chapter 2, we saw that the Holy Spirit did come, as Jesus promised, in a dramatic way. And then Peter stepped up and preached his first and greatest sermon in Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 people came to know Christ. And here's the question, well, then what happened? What was next? And that's where we pick up the story today. In Acts chapter 2, look with me at verse 42 as we see really the answer to the question, what do you do when the awe and wonder of God is gone? I want you to see these first three words. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42 it says, They devoted themselves. Would you just say those three words out loud with me? Say that with me. They devoted themselves. I would underline the word devoted. Now, I want to start with the word they. Who is the they? In chapter 1, there would have been 120 they. But now by the end of chapter 2, there are over 3,000 they. It's explosive, exponential growth that's happening. The they has gotten really big. 
But here's what I find fascinating is they are devoting themselves. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves when we're realizing that the awe and wonder of God may be gone in our life is are we devoting ourselves? You see, the gravitational pull in our life is not to devote to God. The gravitational pull in this world will always be to more like date God. Dating God is where life is really about me and my desires, and I would love to sprinkle some God on there anytime I can if he can help make my desires and dreams come true. This is the gravitational pull in our life. Whereas being devoted to something means I reorient my whole life and he is the center and I am sacrificing and surrendering on his behalf and for his glory and for his fame and for his desires. It's a completely different way of living our life. And right out of the gate, we see that they, they weren't dating God, they were devoted to God. They have reoriented their life. In fact, they've reoriented, they've devoted themselves to four things. I want you to see the four things they've devoted themselves to. Look what it says. They devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching. I would underline the word teaching. Remember, these are the people who walked with Jesus for three years. They knew the insights and teaching of Jesus, and they eventually wrote them down, and we're getting to read them today. They were studying as well. That's why it's so important to submit yourself to biblical teaching on a regular basis that's practical and helpful for your daily life. This is what they were doing. And then it says they were also devoted to fellowship. You might underline the word fellowship. It's not a word we use as much anymore. It's this idea of community. It's actually in the original word. It means koinonia, which is this idea of more tight-knit, almost intimate kind of gathering. It's, it's the difference between seeing someone in the lobby you know and calling their name, seeing somebody at work you know at the next cubicle and calling their name, seeing someone at school and high-fiving them because you kind of know their name, and being in a small group or a Bible study with someone or somebody that you would call at 2 a.m., someone that you really spend time with and they know your struggles and you know theirs and you're encouraging each other. This one's sort of an acquaintance. This one is fellowship. This is that koinonia here that Luke and Acts is writing about. They were devoted themselves to that kind of relationship, that kind of tight-knit closeness here, teaching and fellowship, and then watch what's next, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. You might underline breaking of bread. This is more than eating a meal. In the original language, it's the combination of this koinonia or this fellowship and worship. It's kind of what we're doing in here when we come together as a group and we sing and lift up and we experience corporate worship with other believers, other people who are following or seeking God, or what we do when we're teaching and we we experience God's word together, or what we do when we have communion and we break the bread together. It's this corporate experience. It's why it's so important that we come together and have this with each other. Last week, somebody came back from from uh, the time away feeling safe with their vaccinations to come back from COVID, and they were in the service last weekend. It was their very first time back, and they said, wow, your teaching is so much better when it's live and we're together. I thought, thank you, thank you, right? The worship was so much more powerful, they said, when we were, uh, when we were together in the room with everyone else. It's what we were made to experience it this way. This is that breaking of the bread that we're doing together. And then look at the fourth thing that they are committed to. Prayer. It might underline the word prayer. They were committed to the prayer, the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and they were committed to the prayer. Remember what prayer reveals? Prayer reveals who we think is really in charge. 
And here they were going house to house, praying, depending upon God. Look, this reveals something so powerful. They have reoriented their life around God. And what they're saying is, yes, I have dreams and I have hopes and I have things I want to do in my life. But at the end of the day, God is in charge and I'm surrendering and sacrificing on his behalf. It's all about him. And I want to tell you, they're about to see the awe and wonder of God as a result of reorienting their life around their creator. Look at the next verse, it says. And this is where it gets a little tough because... It says, or the rest of that verse says, and everyone was filled with awe. I would underline that. Everyone was filled with awe. That's what we all want. That's what we all long for. It's when our soul awakens. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, I don't know when it was the last time that you had your soul filled with awe at what God was doing in your midst. But I want to tell you, last Sunday, Pastor George put together a little opportunity for, for Ginger, my wife, and I to, to meet some folks. Some of them were families that had originally planted this church 32 years ago, Life Point Church. And they were sharing some of the stories of when um, they went to Cargill Elementary School and they would sit in elementary-sized chairs. And they were trying to plant this church. And they talked about if you attended the church, you had a job at the church. In fact, one of, one of the folks I see back there, Tim, actually said that, they called me and they said, would you come to this new church we're trying to start? And he's like, now where and when? I said, well, it doesn't exist yet. We're going to start it. Go, okay, when does it start? Well, it's in a couple of weeks. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I think I'll come. Good. Can you bring cookies? Right? Like this is the thing where everybody was involved. Everyone was trying and taking the step of faith for God. And everyone, as they retold the story, even 32 years later, you could still sense they were filled with awe. Because they had taken this step of faith and reorient their life around taking this risk on behalf of the Lord. I love when we see God move and we are filled with awe. The awe and wonder of God. Now I want you to see what happens next because this is the verse that gets a little awkward. But watch this, it says, And the believers were together and had over everything in common. They sold property... <laughs> and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And they met every day. They committed... Lost my place. They committed... Uh, where would I go? Every day they continued. There we go. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. In other words, they went to church every single day. So I just wanted to announce, starting tomorrow, we're having church every single day. Now I'm kidding. Yeah, you clap. You wouldn't be here. Don't try and fool me. No, I know better than that. No, but here's the thing. Now, remember the context of what's just happened here. They've just seen Jesus ascend into heaven. And Jesus says, I'll be back. And they're like, awesome. What time? By dinner? By Thursday? And they're here in chapter 2 just a few days later, and they're anticipating the return of Jesus at any moment. They've seen Jesus rise from the dead. He appeared for the next 40 days to them. They saw him personally. And now they're waiting. They saw his ascension. They're waiting for his return. And so they've sold stuff. They don't need stuff because he's about to return. They're going every day. Hey, if you see God moving like this, you're going to do that instead of your job because you're waiting for his return, which is so imminent. So the context is very different. But here's what Jesus did tell us to do. 
Go make disciples. Whatever you do, go make disciples. Don't sit and be a disciple. Go and make a disciple. And so here we're seeing one way they were going and making disciples. And remember what we said. When you read the book of Acts, oftentimes we will see something that's descriptive versus prescriptive. The order, the mission is go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say how to do it. Here's one way to do it. They went to church every single day. All right. I'll see you next Sunday at Mother's Day, but we're excited in the meantime. All right, so here we go. Now watch what happens in the next part of the verse. It says, They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love this. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And watch this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. No wonder they're filled with the awe and wonder. Can you imagine each day? You know, the, now this section is the new believers. This section is the new believers from yesterday. This section is the new believers from two days. Like, they're just overwhelmed with the number of people who are coming to Jesus day after day after day. After this initial day of 3,000, they continue to see the movement of God. The Holy Spirit is working in their midst, and the church of Jesus Christ is being launched. But it's the Spirit of God that's doing the work and that's supernaturally changing lives. That's why we see this word pneuma in the New Testament, which means spirit, wind, fire, or or, or wind, uh, breath, and spirit, we see the word uh, rukah, which is Hebrew in the Old Testament. Those two words, spirit, appear over 700 times throughout the Bible because the Bible wants us to know if anything supernatural is going to happen, it will not be because of us, but the spirit giving us strength and empowering us to be effective witnesses. And this is what's happening in chapter 2. But now we get to chapter 3, and we're about to see a miracle with Peter and John, who are going to kind of become the main characters for a couple of chapters now. I want you to see what happens with Peter and John as we're about to see an incredible miracle, and we're going to see people once again filled with wonder and awe. Look at this miracle. In chapter 3, it begins, One day, Peter and John were getting up to go to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now there was a man who was, I would underline this, lame from birth. He was being carried, and I would circle the word carried. I'll tell you why in a minute. He was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. In other words... He was going to the, gate, the front of the church to beg money from people who were going to church. Now, it's easy to look at those two verses and to think, oh, well, we're setting up a story that's really either about Peter and John or it's about this lame man who's been lame from birth. Later in chapter 4, we'll realize this man's been crippled not only since birth, but he's now 40 years old or older and he's never walked a day in his life and he's taken to the temple every day so that he can beg for money, not to thrive, but just simply to survive. But there's actually a different hero in those first two verses, and they aren't even mentioned in any way. They're not even referred to. They're really actually just implied. And that's why I wanted you to circle that one word, carried. Who's carrying this man to the temple gate every single day? Is it one person? Is it two? Is it a handful of people on a rotation? Has it changed over time? We don't know. 
But let me give you a spoiler alert. This man's about to be healed. And for days, weeks, probably years, someone or someones have been carrying this man to the temple. They've been sacrificing their time, their energy, with no regard for fame or recognition, so that this life could be changed. And isn't that what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That we sacrifice our time and energy and we have no regard for fame or recognition so that future lives can be changed. Someone in this story isn't yet mentioned. And in heaven we'll find out who they were. But I'm inspired by their commitment and their faithfulness. In LifePoint, there are a lot of you here who inspire me as well. Because we have lots of folks who volunteer and sacrifice their time and their energy, and you're not looking for fame or recognition, but you just continually go at it. You're serving as a small group leader. You're serving in the tech ministry. You're serving in the worship team. You serve in men's ministry, women's ministry. You serve as a greeter. You serve in mops. You, you serve in our Stephen's ministry. We serve in children's ministry. You serve in student ministry. There are so many different places. I haven't even listed all the ministries, but there's some place where you serve. And you're carrying LifePoint Church. In particular, over this last year, in the middle of a pandemic, when things get really, really hard, as they did over this past year, and you stayed at it faithfully, And I don't know what the future holds as we continue to grow and as we continue to see people come to Jesus, but I think we'll always look back on this year and say, wow, there were a group of people who quietly carried LifePoint Church through that season to get us to the place where lives are changed. And so before we go any further, instead of just saying, I want to imply, I want to go a step further, and I know you don't want this, but we want to do this for you. If you serve in any ministry here at LifePoint, would you just do us a favor right now? Would you just stand so that we can see you and know you and show our appreciation for you? I know you don't want to. Would you just stand? If you serve here at LifePoint in any way right now, would you just stand? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. And all of eternity, I believe, there will be lives that are changed because of your investment in the kingdom. Well, now we look at this beggar who has an incredible story to be told. And I want you to watch it as it unfolds, this miracle. Look at the next verse there at verse 3. When this beggar, when this crippled man from birth saw Peter and John about to enter the church, about to enter the temple... He asked them for money, of course, right? And Peter looked him straight, looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. Now that's a little bit odd because if you've ever been in a downtown of a large city, you know when you see folks who are on the corner looking for money, if you don't want to give them money, what do you do? You don't look them in the eye. If you look them in the eye, you're going to increase the opportunity to be asked for money. Peter, however, looks them in the eye, as did John, and then he looked at the man and said, I want you to look at us. Why is it that Peter, on his way to church, stops and looks this man in the eye and demands eye contact? 
Because Peter didn't see this as an interruption. He saw this as an opportunity. And if we want to experience the awe and wonder of God, we have to remember that sometimes opportunities are just disguised as interruptions. Interruptions aren't always interruptions. Sometimes interruptions are something we didn't have planned, but God always has. And are we walking in the Spirit enough to realize, uh uh-oh, this might just be a holy interruption. Peter has walked by this man undoubtedly every day for many days. Jesus has walked by this man. But in this moment, the Spirit does something to Peter and says, pay attention, this what feels like an interruption is disguised. It's actually an opportunity. And in this moment, Peter begins to have a conversation with this man. I love that the Scripture even lets us know what this man is thinking, because look at the next verse. So the man gave him his attention. Of course, he's thinking, great, I'm I'm guessing you'll give me a 20 if I just give you a little time here, because I need to survive. I have debt to pay. I have things that I'll need. He gives him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold, I do not have. I can't help but think that the beggar's thinking, well, thanks a lot, buddy. Would you move along next, right? I'm, exp- I gotta, I'm here to make a living here, right? That's what he's thinking. I have no other resource. I have no other opportunity. But Peter begins to be completely focused, not on what he doesn't have, silver and gold, and what this man thinks he wants, Instead, Peter begins to focus on what he does have and what he knows this man needs. He isn't distracted by what he thinks he wants. And he isn't distracted by what he, Peter, doesn't have. I love that. Look at the next part of that verse that says, But what I do have, I give you. Watch this phrase. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk i'm going to tell you if, if that guy i can't imagine i would love to see this replayed someday in eternity like he his breath has to be taken away look look i know you're one of those jesus followers and, and i've heard about the resurrected jesus and the miracle of that and i know you've been empowered but, but but don't tease me like this you just said for me to walk you know who i am i've never walked a step in my life what are you up to peter And watch Peter's response. Peter, taking him by the right hand. He didn't point a finger, he extends a hand. I love that. He didn't try to tell him what he needed to know. He got down with the man. He reached out his hand. And he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. This is interesting because Luke, remember, is a physician, the author of Acts. Remember, he wrote the book of Luke. This is his sequel, the book of Acts, and he is a physician. And this is the only time these original words are ever recorded in Scripture because Luke is actually fascinated by the anatomy of the human body and that God heals it on the spot. And so he refers specifically to his ankles and his feet being made strong. You see, here's what I love. You can't be changed in life-altering transformation and then keep that in isolation. 
Everyone who saw this was changed, and we're about to see that, because look at the next verse. It says, he jumped to his feet, and he began to take his first steps. Now, we have children. They normally took their first step, I don't know, around like year one, something like that. He's taking his like around year 40. He's been healed, and he's finally walking. But watch. And when he went with them into the temple courts, walking, and now he's jumping. He's showing off a little bit, right? He's like, all right, you're becoming a little obnoxious. Calm it down. right? He's just all excited. He's finally getting to walk. And then watch what he does. And he's praising God. Why is he praising God? Because Peter didn't say, I heal you. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then he's like, well, where are you guys going? Well, I'm going to the temple because we're going to praise Jesus. He's the one that we follow. We've reoriented our whole life around him. And he's like, so he's the source? Yeah, he's the source. Well, I'm with you, and now I'm going to praise him too. So he's walking, he's jumping, and now he's praising God. And when someone has their life changed like this, watch the ripple effect. Watch what happens next. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful. Now listen, stop for a second and think about what they're thinking. They have walked by this man every day too. They've seen him begging. They know he's crippled. Maybe they have spent many years trying not to make eye contact with this guy. We'll call him, we'll call him Jason. I like Jason. We'll call this beggar Jason. And they're going, there's Jason. Is that J- Wait, is that Jason? We walk by Jason every day. We go by him and, and we try not to make eye contact with you. We tell our kids. We talk about, hey, and when we go there, this is the deal. Yeah, I don't know if he did something wrong. I'm not sure what's going on there. But, you know, and they just try to avoid that conversation. The kids keep trying to bring that conversation. And they're like, no, no, we don't really talk about you. And they just kind of keep going around him. And all of a sudden, they're in there praising God, worshiping God, going through the routine of the week. And all of a sudden, he walks in the temple, and they're all like, is that who I think it is? They know this man well. They've seen him day after day after day, and all of a sudden he's walking, he's jumping, and he's praising God. And watch their reaction when it dawns on them who it is. They were filled with wonder and amazement. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Now, if you feel like the wonder and awe of God is gone, it may be that we just haven't seen enough crippled people jumping and praising God around us. We haven't seen enough changed lives around us. Because you can't be around changed lives very long before you start kind of jumping and praising too. Because all of a sudden you begin to realize that the Spirit is still active and powerful around you. And here they see this and watch their reaction when it dawns on them who it is. Look at the next verse, verse 11. I love this. By the way, it says they were filled with wonder and amazement. And in, and in the original language, what that means is they were freaking blown away, Right? That's what, if you go to seminary, they'll teach you that. But here's the reality. When you see the supernatural of God, when you see a supernatural miracle, you are attracted to the source of the miracle. You see, they're not worshiping Jason, the beggar. They're worshiping the healer. They're worshiping the one who can mend broken feet and broken ankles. And watch how they respond. I love this so much in verse 11. It says, While the man held on to Peter and John, 
all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When you see a crippled man running, you start running too. And when you see a dead life come to life, you come to life too. And when we haven't been filled with the awe and wonder of God, it's time to find ourselves around people whose lives are changing because it'll always cause us to run too. Now look at Peter. He sees an opportunity. All these people are just pouring in from off the streets to see this beggar, to see this crippled man running. And Peter just sees an opportunity. Again, he doesn't see this as an interruption. He sees it as an opportunity. Look at verse 12. It says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, it's time for message number two. That's what he's thinking because earlier in Acts he gave his first and best message. He's about to give his second one. We're just going to look at the first verse, though. It says, fellow Israelites... Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare as if by our own power or our own godliness, we had made this man walk? In other words, Peter is saying, this has nothing to do with me. This is the power of the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost, who came in that upper room, who like a freight train or tornado showed up that day and like tongues of fire came down and we began to speak in languages that we hadn't spoken before and people began to come to Christ and I stepped forward and just spoke on behalf and the Holy Spirit moved through me and 3,000 people came to Christ and now here we are and this man is healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Look, don't be surprised and don't look at us. We know who this is all about, that God is moving once again and why would we be surprised when the Holy Spirit continues to do supernatural things Peter is challenging their faith even in this moment be filled with awe and wonder but give him all the glory because he is the source of the supernatural miracle that we are witnessing here today Peter is excited but he keeps pointing everyone to God I love that about his humility now remember this is the same Peter who before it was all about him and he wanted to be at the front of the line Now, all of a sudden, he's at the front of the line, and he keeps pointing to Jesus. He keeps pointing to Jesus. He doesn't want it to be about him anymore. He's going from dating to being devoted. It's a completely different reorientation in his own heart. And so when we look at what God is doing here at LifePoint, the first on Easter, the first Sunday of April, we saw 10 people give their life to Jesus and text in to let us know that they surrendered their eternity to this Jesus. And last week, we gave people a chance again to surrender to Jesus, and two more people texted in the word new start to let us know that they gave their life to Jesus and we would say why would we be surprised when the Holy Spirit is moving we want to get to where we're surprised when the Holy Spirit's not moving we want to be filled with awe and wonder and by the way if you've made that decision or you want to take a significant spiritual step as as um, we were told earlier Marty reminded us that on May the 16th we have a baptism coming up we would love for you to take that step with us after the service it's such a special day we want to celebrate what God is doing around here. Now, as we wrap up, if you're wondering, yeah, but how do I go to the place of once again finding that awe and wonder in my life? I want the awe and wonder of God in my life again. I don't want to be rote. I don't want to be routine. I don't want to be bored in my faith. I want to be awakened again. Let me just point out some insights that we see from this passage. That Peter and John practiced, and they too were filled with awe and wonder. Number one, Do the right things 
at the right time, in the right places. Peter and John, they just kept going to the church and meeting where the Christians were. They kept going to pray. They didn't know if God was going to show up that day in a way that was tangible to them, but he did. You see, God isn't looking for people who have the greatest gifting. God is looking for people who will simply abide in him, who will remain in him, who will surrender to him, do the right things at the right time. God is looking for people who are willing to be interrupted. Uh, Peter and John were extremely busy. Don't you know their schedule had to have been full? Let me ask you, how's your interruptibility? Number three, pay attention to the needs of others. Look, it doesn't mean that you have to pay attention to everybody's need or that you have to allow for every interruption. You'd never get work done if you did that. But is there an opportunity for you to meet someone's need? Are you praying, God, show me someone I can help? And are you willing to promote God above yourself? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk, Peter said. Peter did not heal this man so that he could feel better. He healed this man so that Jesus could be promoted. Finally, instead of asking God to bless our agenda, would you pray that God would show you his agenda? His agenda. And now, as I said before, my greatest fear would be that you read over these passages and you absolutely agree with us, but you leave unchanged. So I want to give you some questions as we wrap up, and I want to ask you to wrestle with these. Maybe there's one question that will stick out, and you'll want to wrestle with that one. Maybe you want to take a picture on your phone when we're done as they're listed on the screen, or maybe you just want to write the one that just really makes an impression on you. But here are the questions I would love to invite you to wrestle with this week so that we don't just agree, but we take a step towards surrender. Number one, because God is not looking for the most gifted person, but the person who abides in him. This week, how will you abide in him? How will you be spending time with him this week? Number two, sometimes our schedules are too full for a holy interruption. We need greater flexibility and margin. So will you ask God to help you see in those moments, those holy interruptions, that those are actually opportunities? doesn't mean you allow for every interruption, but are there some interruptions where you sense this might be a holy opportunity? Then number three, this week, there may be a beggar God wants you to see. And he wants you to help. Would you ask God to give you eyes for someone this week that you can help? God, would you give me eyes? I know there's someone in my path, at my job, in the gym, in my, in my school, someone in my neighborhood, in my family, friend circle. God, there's someone online that I'm connected with. Would you help me see them when you want me to help them? And then number four, you can't give what you don't have, but you have something, and you can give that. Would you discover what it is that you have to give? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a skill. You have compassion, mercy. You have something to give. Would you discover it this week and ask God to give you an opportunity to help someone this week? 
Now, as we close, I just want to tell you, if you're new, I'm telling you, I would love to meet you. After the service, my wife and I are going to be in the Connection Center. If you go out those doors, across the hallway, there's sort of a glass room, and we'll be there in the Connection Center. We would love to meet you. Five minutes after this service is done, we're going to start over there. It'll last about 10 or 15 minutes. If you would like prayer today, behind this glass wall, there's an opportunity for you to go after every service and receive support and prayer. We would love to do that right after the service today. Let's close this way. Church, would you stand with me as we close? And together, let's say this verse, which is really a beautiful outline of the book of Acts. You see, if you took Jerusalem, that's chapters 1 through 7. If you took Judea and Samaria, that's chapters 8 through 11. And if you took to the ends of the earth, that's chapters 12 through 28. It's an outline of the book we're going through together. Now let's close by saying this together. Say it with me, church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. Let's pray. Father, again, Father, would you please give us strength and empower us by your Spirit to once again gain the awe and wonder and become witnesses here in Plano, become witnesses in Collin County in this region, and become witnesses to the end of the earth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.